Welcome to Hearts and Minds. My name is Catherine McMahon and I'm joined here with Maura Cassidy. Today we're going to talk about conversion, mainly because one of our listeners asked us about this topic um, to do with somebody they love who uh, does not believe. So we thought we'd kind of drill down on this a little bit or discuss it just in general about what does it mean for a person to return to the faith or just begin believing in God? Super. Um, it's kind of exciting, I think, because we're, um, you know, it's a topic somebody out there listening to us wants us to cover. So I hope you're listening. Um, I think if you're frustrated with somebody, which can happen, or with yourself, um, because you're not helping them to believe, um, I'd encourage you not to be frustrated because conversion is a big step. If you look up the definition of the word conversion, which I did, um, it's a process of changing something into a different state or form. So that's pretty radical. It's not just, you know, past the sugar or the salt kind of idea. So um, I think there's a couple of key ideas which I have to say I find very helpful. First of all is to realise that why is it hard to believe today now in 21st century Ireland? Um, because let's be honest, the idea of a creator doesn't really sit very well with people because we see ourselves as the creators. You know, we're the doers, we're the drivers, the makers and the shakers. And we do prize our personal autonomy over everything. Mm. So, and, and it's really helpful, I think, to know where that all comes from because sometimes we just think, oh, well, you know, Cone because Cone is a hard, hard old sit we have, and you know, let's just do our best kind of thing. But it all goes back to the Enlightenment. So let's blame, <laughs> blame the let's Enlightenment blame the for everything. The philosophers, okay, they too much time to think. But anyway, it's just really interesting to know. Well, just back in the late 17th century, obviously the Enlightenment brought with it many great things. Modern democracy emerged. The sciences flourished. Many great inventions, which we piggyback off today. But the downside of it, and there always is a downside, is that it drove a wedge between faith and science, between belief and reality. Okay. And the Enlightenment thinkers basically said that it, everything you believe has to be based on scientific fact. It has to be tangible. Mm. Um, that, that, that basically any other form of knowledge was irrational. So um, believers came out badly. They came out irrational. Dreamers, non-realists, because kind of superstitious, exactly. Mm. And I, I'm sure there was an element of superstition anyway in belief in some believers, because mm. there always is. But obviously, you can't put God under a microscope to prove He exists. And and even if you were to just you know zoom out the lens a little bit, much much of what we hold true in our lives, you know, whether it's knowledge we receive from our imagination, our memory, our understanding, let's look at love, emotions, um, that's not tangible. Um, it's not measurable. It's not scientific. And it has no place in this worldview. So, are they trying to drill it down to be scientific if they're trying to justify it? Exactly. You know, kind of like the brain waves and the. Exactly. But yeah. you can't say, well, the brainwave showed you'd fall in love with so and so. Like there's a limit. Mm. Um, or not fall in love with somebody else. Um, and I suppose with all of that, um, you know, there are, it, it basically points out to the fact that um, science, while it has certain answer, does, answers, it doesn't have them all. Um, the other big challenge I think that has come from this period of philosophy is the fact that obviously we value personal autonomy and freedom. That's great. Mm -hmm. um, belief seems to contradict that because when you believe, you're handing over some of that autonomy to God. 
But of course, we aren't completely autonomous. You know, if we want to ask ourselves, we can't really control the important things about life. You know, yeah. we were born, we're going to die. Um, we have agency. Yeah, we have our role to play in getting stuff done. But so much of our anxieties come from the fact that we can't control everything. And I think that's a little reminder to us is that we aren't really fully autonomous. We like to think we are. And probably a lot of anxiety comes from that sense of wanting to control. Well, I mean, this anxiety that you can't control, but... Sometimes you can be frustrated because you're trying to be in control of something and you can't. Exactly. Yeah. And and we're just trying to be the arbiters and we're trying to be the architects of, of everything. Mm. Um, but the bottom line is um, we ultimately were dependent. We're cr- creatures because we're not the origin of our own lives. Our lives, we have our own individuality. We have our inalienable rights. We have our autonomy to a point but we develop our own identity only in relationship with others. And there's, a, there's an interdependence there for starters. Mm. And then God, obviously, as our origin. Mm-hmm. So I sort of in that sort of idea, I think there are answers and rebuttals to what the Enlightenment has sort of thrown up. But those are challenges that people need to talk through, I think. The other side of, I suppose, um, challenge for, for belief is the idea of... Um, stepping into the space of someone who doesn't believe, that doesn't mean you agree with them. And I think that's really important. If you look at the testimonies of, of people who've converted, I've, I actually sometimes, you know, I take a bit of an interest in pulling out a book and reading them because it is really interesting. Mm. And um, a couple of them that I came across recently, and these were sort of bright individuals who were, some of them pretty anti-faith, anti-religion, very much, very hardline atheists. And for most of them, what they said it was the patience and the friendship of somebody who took the time to unpack faith for them and took them seriously mm. and you know, gave them a sort of a sense that their questions were credible and they had answers and they gave them good answers. Okay, so, so can I say here, like, I mean, this thing of unpacking your faith, like if you have a person like this who is, you know, a bright person, intellectually minded, etc., and you're unable to unpack that faith for them, are you unpack it thinking this is this is convinced me, but all of a sudden this is definitely not convincing them? So they're kind of like, they're drilling it down, they're breaking it down, they're saying, no, I don't agree with that because X, Y, and Z. They have a whole series of things that they can back up against your argument or against your position. So you need to go and find the answers that they need. Really? Absolutely. Okay. You do. You need to go and find the answers. But if I don't have time. (laughs) Well, I think you just need to, do you know what the lovely thing about it is? Is when you say, look, I respectfully um, understand what you're saying. Mm. I don't have the answers. Can I go away and think about that? But that's very edifying for somebody who's looking, because they know that you're not trying to be smart and it's not a point scoring exercise. It's a case of, gee, I haven't thought about that before. I don't think it's a bad reflection on you as a person or as a believer, because we all have different questions about reality. Mm. And I think sometimes what can happen is... Our relationship with our Jesus becomes very centre stage in our faith. And because of that, sometimes the more intellectual challenges sort of slip, slip to the background. Um, and they don't really, you know, they don't really challenge us anymore. Mm. We don't really go there. Whereas, because we've got a relationship of trust now. Mm. Whereas you're talking to somebody who doesn't have that relationship of trust. Who is Jesus to them? You know, is he Santa Claus? So they need to be able to drill down into the things of, well, the gospel message is too radical, whereas suffering and evil, that's a big problem. You know, what about science? You know, is science not enough? We don't need religion anymore. Or believers, bad example, hypocrites, etc. church scandals. So they're all intellectual reasons why somebody finds belief challenging. Um, But they have answers um, and we need to find them. You know, the one I've said, the gospel message being too radical. 
well, we do need to unpack it a bit better, you know, because let's be honest, you know, in my case, I've been brought up with the faith. It's familiar territory for me. But it's very easy for me to, log, you know, to nod along to a creator who's a baby, a God who gets murdered, a carpenter who saves the universe. But really, if you don't explain that, you know, yeah. that's like, where are you coming from? Yeah. Like, are you really as challenged intellectually as I think you are? Um, because the fact that a God comes down onto this earth and undoes the mess that we made, but not with murderous intent, but with love and kindness and forgiveness, well, that's pretty impressive. Mm. Because why? Because he wants to be personal God. And that's what Christianity is about. So, and the gospel message is radical. Yeah, you give to the poor, you love your enemies. Yeah, not just the people you like, but your enemies and so on and so on and so on. So that's that's a pretty, that's a one that needs, as you say, to be unpacked. Um, okay, so you have to really verse yourself in, you do. in your faith. But not so much. And I, I do think there's a kind of a balance though between not uh, reducing that friendship or that relationship to um, discussion points all the time. Agreed. Like that it's not kind of like, okay, we're going to now thrash out this idea. That it's mainly your example. It's well, ma- mainly. It's you, your d- you don't want to kind of relegate it only to that, but. It is. It is usually your example, but it's also, I think it's nice to be able to say, look, imagine even, the, you know, your question earlier, what if you don't have the answers yourself? You say, look, I, I, I went off and I read up and this is what I found very compelling. What do you think? Yeah. It's part of the conversation of both of you, you deepening in your faith mm-hmm. and also, the, you know, your friend or your, your family member, you know, taking that journey with you. I totally agree. It's not a point scoring exercise. It's not about getting somebody over the line. Mm. Your conversion is much deeper than that. And it, it is ultimately a grace. But there are things that we need to do to make that easier. It's so that it doesn't become Mount Everest exercise for the person, but it's more like a stepping into something that they feel they already knew. Yeah. And that's what quite a few converts say, is that the friendship with somebody helped me to realize that the Catholic faith is something that I already had embraced, but I couldn't describe it. And I it's also, I think, the importance of really taking the time of to listen to people. That's very Rather important. than just kind of jumping to conclusions of this is aggression, like this person is anti my belief and, uh, you know, they think it's superstitious or whatever like that. And then we get kind of with our claws out, not necessarily, but and then we actually are not listening to what they're the actually saying, saying. Yeah, yeah, or giving even that time to just, yeah. Yeah, no, that's really in. important. Or even, you know, obviously, you know, evil and suffering is a big one for most people, you mm. know. And I think sometimes us believers shy away from these topics because we just hope they'll sort of go away because they are challenging and thorny topics. Like, you know, to say that evil is a consequence of badly used freedom is true in one on one point, but it's not very satisfying, you know, mm. you know. Humans turn the table on the creator in the Adam and Eve um, account in the book of Genesis. Evil, hatred and inequality come into the world. And so, so where does that leave us? Um, you know, how does God stand by and watch that? You know, starving children. Or tsunamis, know, which are totally which just happen. to explain. Exactly. Yeah. And the answer is he doesn't. He suffered um, and suffers with us. Christ was crucified and Christians are called to do the same. And that's pretty radical. Because Christ says that to us, you know, he says in the Gospels, he said, well, you've to kind of take up, you've to take up your cross and follow me. And if you don't, you're no disciple of mine. So gulp, you know, that's a bit, I guess we need to sort of mm. swallow a bit. Um, the other one I think that's important to grapple with is the idea that science has replaced religion because it can be a very lazy argument and it's so often left unchallenged. You know, science is wonderful. All sciences are exploration of our reality, what we measure and observe 
But we can't find God there in like we look for a galaxy, you know, mm. in our little, <laughs> our little space missions. Science won't find God because he's more powerful than our reality. You know, science mm. and religion just ask different questions. When science, they complement each other. Of course, mm. you know, but, but religion is above science. Like science is the what and the when, you know, it's the tangible realities. Whereas religion explores the how and the why. Um, and everything in the universe is dependent, you know, um, uh, you know, and, and we are dependent. We have parents, we eat, we drink, we breathe, so we're all dependent. So nothing dependent within the universe can cause the universe. So to say science, if science can't find God or put him into a petri dish, he mustn't exist is a little bit silly. Um, and it's almost like saying, look at the beauty and the complexity of our world. And it just it came from nothing. That just, that just can't make sense. You know, yeah, the big, what I find a little bit, and I agree with them, I agree with people who do not believe in God in this on this angle of religion comes across as submissive, you know what I mean, as kind of, it's a mystery, I have to accept it. And it's kind of, that's kind of babyish in 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 approach to the world. It's, you know, it's kind of like, oh, I'll, I'll light a candle and I'll just ask the Blessed Mother to... You know, I, I don't want to belittle it, but that's that's what happens when you're talking to somebody who doesn't believe. Whereas science is so advanced and so clear and so intellectually driven that religion seems kind of, you know, it's kind of undermining the intellect. It comes across as undermining the intellect because it's all kind of, oh, just, you know, just trust in God and everything will turn out okay. It's like when somebody, you know, a friend of mine, who had a really, really difficult situation. And she said the worst thing for her was, and she's a non-believer, she said the worst thing for her was to hear people say, uh, you know, I'll, I'll pray for that and I'm sure everything will turn out okay. It just, it sounds so... Well, it's just inadequate. Yeah, And it's, it's exactly. undermining. Yeah. And I think that's the point, I think, is that if we don't grapple with, well, where does science begin and end and where does religion come in? And that the two of them dovetail and complement each other, mm. that we need to ask the questions and we need to, you know, even, for example, say the Big Bang Theory, well, it was discovered by a Belgian priest you know, who basically said, well, the, the world came originally from a primordial atom, but that has to be created by something else. Mm. So you, many of the great inventions of our world were discovered by believers and others were discovered by people who didn't believe. But the point about it is, is that um, if believers don't tackle with to tackle science and tackle and be well versed in science. Well, it doesn't really cut, you know, give much credibility when you're having the faith discussions. Yeah. And I think there is, there's a passivity there and a superstition that sometimes believers lazily embrace. Like the example you gave there. Mm. Yes, we pray, but we act. And there's an agency there. God doesn't give us the answers. He says, pray and do what you can. And, I, you know, he doesn't. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes it's just that passivity there that is, is, is yeah, it's, 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 it's a turn off for people. And I think we believers have to sort of take responsibility for that. Um, and I think that's, I suppose, the, the, that, that I suppose highlights the fact that belief isn't just an intellectual sort of argument or kind of, yes, you rightly put it, you know, sitting down and, you know, drawing, <laughs> drawing knives and going, right, who win today kind of thing. Of course, that's, that destroys it all because there's a person who's journeying behind it all. But I think it's also conversion is, 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 is really a belief in a person. Um, you know, you think about it, so many things in our lives, we believe because of the person who told us, you know, I look at bus timetables and I believe Dublin bus, I do. And they generally are right. <laughs> do I have a relationship? No, but I trust them. Yeah. But I do believe what a friend tells me. I won't believe a random or as much. I'll double click on it. Um, so 
belief is based on a relationship and it's a relationship of trust. Mm. So you're talking about a friend or a family member who doesn't believe. You can't expect them to believe because they don't know, they don't have a relationship of trust with God yet. You might even say yourself, do I? But we're all trying, I suppose. But how do they get to believe if they don't have that relationship? Well, believers fill that gap. So your point there about believers, you know, being a little bit passive or lazy or superstitious about addressing science or knowing the world that we live in. Um, well, that doesn't help that. Or reducing it to abandonment. Exactly. You know, like to the fate of life and I'll just accept it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a sort of a medieval yeah. simplistic approach, which unfortunately is out there. And um, But there are also people there who would just very much step into that fray and try to fill that gap, you know, and be the bridge that people need. Um, I think it's also helpful in all of this to realise, you know, because I, I know a few friends would say, but I really, really try and it doesn't make any difference and I'm just not good enough and will you try and convince so-and-so or whatever. And I think it's to realise that our efforts are not going to be enough. You know, people don't convert because we want them to or because we are do, do our best to convince them mm. or because we've got a really compelling argument. Conversion is really God's work. And there's a lovely phrase of St. John Henry Newman, um, which says something like, you know, God has created to me, me to do some definite service. Um, I'm a link in a chain, a bond of connection between persons. And I think that's beautiful, you know, that that's what we're here to do. You know, in the same way as in the Gospels, a lovely passage to chapter 14, which is a little bit unusual, Jesus' answer, but Judas, um, not the Iscariot one, um, said to him, when are you going to show yourself to the people, you know? Um, you know, come on, can you just just do it like you're God? And Jesus said, well, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching, and my Father will love him, and we'll come to him and make our home with him. It's kind of like, sorry, did you hear the question? <laughs> you know, it's a bit disconcerting. But in other words, no, I'm not going to do it. You're going to, want, going to be the ones who are going to convince others. Only if you love me. Yeah, yeah. So we, we need to love our, we, we need to be growing in our relationship with Jesus going, well, how mm. do I, how do I tell people about you? Well, who are you for starters? Mm. Who are you to me? So, um, and that's where we have God's presence in our life, in our, uh, and, and working through us. And, and that God's life in us is what we call grace. Mm. And that is possibly the greatest contribution of Christianity to the world. And I said that slowly. Because it is. Yeah. And it's all over St. Paul. You know, Jesus Christ is grace. Mm. You know, we're, Christians are not just people who have good behavior reports or we live an ethical lifestyle. We're temples of the Holy Spirit. You know, St. Paul was going to convince the Corinthians, who by all accounts were a pretty loonous, you know, pretty crazy bunch of people. Everything went in their, in their society. And he says, you know, do you not realize you're temples of the Holy Spirit? Like, you know, everything has radically changed. Yeah. And you can't go back to your old ways because you're different. So grace does change us. And God's grace is what does the heavy lifting in us. For starters, you know, we need the grace, you know, to be patient, to be kind, to be modest, to be honest, you know, to be temperate. But we just forget to ask, you know, because we think we're meant to be alone in this. You know, maybe it's the Irish thing in us, I don't know, and we alone, I don't know. But the catechism is really clear on it, you know, and it's a lovely way it describes it. The first effect of grace in us is conversion. He has to realise you know, the, you know, the bell, the, 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 the sort of the, the scales, you know, drop from our eyes. And then the second step, really, or effect of grace is a distaste for evil. 
And as I don't want to go back to my old ways, I have greater and bigger loves. And then the third part is the acceptance of God's personal love, Mm. which I think we all struggle with. So I think that's really beautiful. And that's something that we can rely on and look forward to in our own lives and the lives of others. Um, God's presence in us. I think the thing of with our friends, okay, that's with us uh, and our, our, you know, our ability to convert every day, you could say, you know. Um, But with our friends, I think there is an element when somebody brings up topics, you know, like, I don't know, the hot button issues that you'd like to call them, about the faith, you know, that particularly about moral, moral standing. Um, I do think it's an element of helping them to direct towards the person of Jesus Christ and work their way from there as opposed to working outwards, because those are consequences, but they're not actually, actually the person, him. Totally. Yeah, no, I think that's... Because if you start kind of rattling on about all the hot button issues and all breaking it down, you you lose the the essence, you lose the love of that person of Jesus Christ. And it just becomes kind of distasteful as if everything is just rules and regulations when it's it's simply, it's not like, you know, anyway. I think Mm. it's, I I totally agree. And I think it's, we get distracted. It it becomes a distraction point, Mm. you know, and that's why Pope Francis has been so clear about it's a relationship with Christ. It's the person of Christ. It's, and, you know, I love to think of morality like God the Father, you know, with his arms outstretched as his little two-year-old tries to walk. Mm. You have to do the walking, but, you know, I wouldn't go down there because you might hurt yourself. I wouldn't do this because of the other. So they're in a context, but if you don't have the context, mm. it's it's like misquoting somebody out of context. Yeah. It doesn't make any yeah, sense. Yeah, it just, yeah, it's devoid of meaning, I think, if you, if you remove our Lord from it, you know. It is. There's, Clearly. Um, if you ever get a chance, actually, to go to the National Gallery, at the moment there is an exhibition on Murillo, who's a famous painter, a Spanish painter. And there's a series of paintings of the prodigal son. And it's it's just really, really interesting to look at them because you just see that element, if you know that um, gospel scene of the prodigal son, you know, where the guy leaves his father and he wants to go in search of, you know, his freedom and whatever. And obviously he misuses his freedom and he wants to return. But that returning is just such a beautiful painting. And I think uh, when you look at that painting, you realize God, like God is so much bigger. You know what I mean? Our Lord is so much bigger than the consequences of our freedom are the, the elements that we seem to distract ourselves in. And those kind of elements also, I think, you know, art, literature, music, they're all ways and means of that are that God has put for us to return to him. Um, yeah, anyway, I just, there is elements of that, of friendship, but also, you know, the richness of humanity, bringing people back to him. You know? And I think and I think you could say that each person, a believer is almost like a work of art for others. Mm. You know, they're an authentic example of what it means to follow Christ, you know, and it's, it's a journey, isn't it? Mm. And everybody does it differently. You know, I often think that a Christian is, is, is somebody who's just struggling to be better, not perfect. You know, they don't need to be noticed. They're trying, they're trying to be kind and cheerful. They're trying to be useful. They have lots of virtues, but they're not ostentatious, you know. Mm. Um, they're not I, preachy. They're not preachy. You know, mm. the ones of humility, restraint, self-discipline, respect. You know, they're trying to radiate a moral joy. You know, they're often silent when they're, you know, when they're fairly, unfairly abused or whatever. But I think the important thing in all of this is that God's grace and our effort inspires others and it gives them hope. 
Yeah, and I yeah. think that's a that's a quality. It's a it's a gift from God, but they need to see somebody like them who has defects, who has limitations, at times bad character, but nonetheless who wants to be more and who's trying. And grace is gradual. It's not like a lightning. It's not going to suddenly, you know, zap that person into another space. It doesn't work like that. Um, and we need to be happy with that. That as, in our, as Pope Francis, God is messy. God you know, is the messy. God of surprises. Yeah, our yeah. own faith journey of faith is messy. There are things we struggle with at other times, things we don't struggle at other times. And in the same way, that of our family members and friends is exactly the same. We all have our blind spots and it does take God's grace to cure them. Mm. But cures take time. And patience is really important. Um, and we don't realise what we can do. You know what I mean? What, what we're doing. Like sometimes we think... I, I did this amazing thing and I was hoping for this result, but we never know the good that we have done for that person. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, it, you know, only when the world ends will we actually see what mm. exactly the good of what we did. And I think that's where the logic of God comes in, you know, is that we all have the God-given desire for happiness in our souls and hope is the only adequate response for that. You know, we are realists, but we do need God's given strength. That's what the theological virtue of hope is. You know, God's strength that helps us to overcome difficulties and challenges, you know, and because, and we do need to be that saint next door, you know, Pope Francis is calling us to be, so that others are attracted, you know, almost out of envy, you know, God, to something you know, more in this person and I would like to be like that. Mm. And that's what draws, is the ultimate draw on belief, mm. um, is the good example that you, our listener out there, is giving to that love, mm. loved person, that loved family member or friend and also the grace of God, which is working quietly, respecting that underneath. And also praying. And for, well, grace comes through prayer, yeah, let's yeah. be honest. You need to ask God for grace mm. and then also we, we get grace through the sacraments, mm. uh, sacramental grace. And I think it's helpful as well for people who are praying for family and friends to first of all realise that prayer is really, that it's changing them first of all, rather than changing the other person. So exactly. not to see it as kind of, I'm throwing darts and hopefully I'll hit a bullseye. But the reality of it is that prayer, well, it's prayer petition and we're praying for that person. It's really about converting us in order to help that person go yeah. forward. And it's it's also giving God the the flexibility to do it his way. Yeah, you know, nice. it's, it's a, you know, prayer isn't just what I want as I want, you know, when I want it's letting God do it the best way, which yeah. is usually not the way we want it. And then when we die, we'll see all the great things we've done. Fantastic. God willing. <laughs> okay. Thanks a million more. Not at all. Okay. And I hope that's helpful. If you have any other suggestions for podcasts, uh, please let us know. We're delighted to receive uh, feedback. And uh, thanks very much for listening.